0: Alrighty. Well, hello everyone. Um, we are back. Sorry for the unexpected week off. We'll try to be better about letting you guys know on social media if we're going
1: to miss a week. Okay. Um, tonight is a very special night for the Language Happy Hour. Uh, we're joined by Mike G. from No One Left Behind, the National Volunteer Coordinator there. And Mike, we just want to thank you for being here. And uh,
2: Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's all right. home.
1: Also with us tonight is Alex Soren, co-founder of
0: Forency. You might remember Alex from our first episode, titled Tums and Jelly Beans. Uh, If you don't, or you didn't listen to the first episode, please pause this one now. Go back to all of our other episodes. We promise that you won't regret it, except for the like five minutes that we're eating jelly beans, but it's a fun five minutes. All right, gentlemen,
3: let's get started.
1: Okay, to start off, um, Mike, if you could just kind of tell us about No One Left Behind, when it started, uh, why you're involved with it, what the mission is, everything like that to kind of give our listeners kind of a background on uh, what you all do. Great.
2: So, No One Left Behind was started by Matt Zeller after his interpreter saved his life. Um, When Matt came back to the U.S. from Afghanistan, um, his interpreter Janice was receiving death threats and needed a a safe haven, a, a place of refuge. Matt helped him go through the SIV process, which is the Special Immigrant Visa Holder process. Um, and to be an SIV holder, you have to demonstrate two things. One is that you worked with the USSM capacity for at least two years. And the second is that you have a credible threat in your life. Janice was constantly receiving death threats and he was an interpreter for many, many, many years. Um, and Matt helped him go through all the trials and things. And I believe Janice was actually in hiding on the base for most of the time while he was waiting. Once they apply for the visa, it takes them two to seven years to get approvals. They're in hiding wow. for an extensive period of time. Um, so are they hiding, sorry to they, are
0: they hiding in country or are they here in hiding?
2: Oh no, 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 that's just, they're hiding in their country. They're, they're waiting for the visa to come wow, to the United goodness States. Goodness. Um, nonetheless, Matt returns to the U.S. Janice is reaching out for help and Matt decides he's gonna start up some support to get Janice over here. And he does. Um, and at some point, Janice does finally arrive. Matt meets him at the airport with a check. And he's looking around, and Janice says nothing. He's allowed one bag per person um, that they can fit in the overhead compartment. And Matt presents him this check, and Janice won't take it. He asks him, what about all the other translators? And so then Matt looks around, and he goes, okay. He takes Janice and his family back to his home, because he realizes there's really nothing in place to help out these kind of families. So he houses his ham- this family into his one-bedroom apartment in D.C., and begins looking for their apartments so no one left behind what we do is when an siv reaches out to us we try to help them find an apartment we try to help them with their rent for up to three months but that's becoming complicated now we also try to furnish their apartments not living in squalor and in addition to that we assign them an american mentor who can help them navigate the american culture and nuances like junk mail how do you pay your bill and we also assign english teachers for the wives when we have an offer Finally, we help them find a job and, at times, we help them with transportation. So we really try to pick up the slack um, once these guys get here. We try to just make sure that they have the tools for success in America. And it's complicated. And so at No One Left Behind, I coordinate the volunteers and right now my attention's been on building the D.C. area chapter because we're getting a ton of people coming here in unprecedented numbers and this is an expensive place to live. Well, I think the third most expensive place in the U.S. according to cost of living standards. Rent is incredibly high and the job market's incredibly tight. And, um, you know, their margins for error are really, really small. So that's what I do.
0: So, how did you get started there? Like, what, what led you to taking a position at No One Left Behind? In
2: 2000, what was it, 15? 2015, when my contract ended at American Councils, so I was looking for something else to do. And I found No One Left Behind on um, And I was helping out helping them out for a few months, and then I left for a year to be Jason Cantor's Director of Compliance and Operations in Missouri on his Senate race. And then I came back, and the immigration craziness that we were experiencing in January, I was protesting at the airport, and no one left behind was there, and I fell back into it. And so I've been going full strong ever since. Wow.
0: So do you have a language
2: background, or, you know, do you work with people with language backgrounds? that they use to help the SIVs? So my personal language background is, I took all the Russian classes at my university, and then I went to taught English in Georgia, lived in Estonia for a year, and then went to go monitor elections in Georgia and Ukraine. Um, That doesn't really pertain to my work with No One Left Behind, however. No One Left Behind, most of our interpreters are gonna be from Iraq and Afghanistan, so it's gonna be Arabic, Pashto, or Dari, with the occasional Tajik or Uzbek. Um, Dari being closely related to Farsi.
0: So how do how do the people with the language backgrounds help the SIVs? Also, just for our listeners, because we've mentioned this acronym a lot, and I'm sure they have n- no idea, just like I do,
2: what is an SIV? So an SIV is someone that assisted the U.S. government, who is a native of Iraq or Afghanistan, and assisted the U.S. government throughout those conflicts for at least two years and has a credible threat in their life. Um, from there, they apply for the SIV program via State Department, and they wait two to seven years and then they have to pay, it's $500 per family member for a medical exam, which is insane. And on top of that, they have to go through the most extensive security process that I'm aware of and I don't know the existence of any other. Um, Pretty much every employer has to submit documentation that they work for them. If they have any kind of objection, they can file it there and that cancels the whole process. They have to have references. And from there, they have one of two options. They can use their own funds to come to the United States, which they probably don't have. Or they can go through the International Organization for Migration, also called the IOM, and take out a loan, often at $1,300 per person, for a one-way ticket to the United States, which they have to repay back in small increments starting six months after they arrive. Um, So that's what an SID is. An SID is basically, we look at them as veterans, and that's what they are. They're just a veteran who doesn't happen to be an American, but they assisted the U.S., and they face the same problems that veterans do, Um, but they don't get to check that box when they apply for employment.
3: Can I ask, would you guys ever expand beyond those two, beyond Afghanistan and Iraq? Like, would say, whatever future conflicts are, you know, lie ahead, would the program ever expand to?
2: We don't get to make that decision. That qualification falls into the State Department. Okay. But I think that'd be an avenue we'd be open to exploring should another conflict arise. And we also have interpreters there that risk their lives to help us. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So, you guys work with SIVs regardless of region. The only they, SIVs... but right now the only SIVs are in Iraq and Afghanistan correct so if there were to be a conflict that would extend into another part of the world and there were SIVs required those would also fall under the military correct okay
3: they're veterans yeah okay I mean they fought for us what's the what's the process like I mean how do you is there a time limit that they had to have worked with US forces a minimum of two, two years minimum two years okay and mm-hmm. then do they have to get references from employers
2: and and people they serve with which can be tricky right if you're really good at your job they don't want you to leave per se so Mm -hmm. um, I mean it can be it can be a tricky thing to navigate it's a lot of bureaucracy and paperwork for someone that's probably never had to experience that before
3: and then for like service u.s. service members that they serve with Mm -hmm. so they obviously you guys talk to them and they have to vouch for the we don't do that the State Department does yeah
2: we as we only um when they get their visa with them and they let us know that they're coming, then we can step in to help. But the phenomenon that's been happening here is they're arriving here before they tell us. And so I'm finding them in pretty bad situations all across the DMV. Mm. That's the DC, no Maryland, time. and Virginia area. Exactly. Um, so I'm finding them whenever they already have problems. One of the biggest problems that they face is getting rental assistance because they're not able to find employment. Um, and rent here, you know, you've got a family at eight. <laughs> your rent is going to be pretty high, like $1,400. You times that by the number of families arriving. That's a ton of money that we just don't have. We receive no funding from the federal government.
3: And when they come, does the government
2: give them any kind of stipend? So they go through, if they come via IOM, they can be enrolled into a resettlement agency, which will provide them, and I may have my numbers messed up, it's about $925 per person. However, um, there's a variety of circumstances that can, change paths was that I'm not fully fluent with But basically they don't have to receive that $925 they can spend it on a bed right if you have a family and they don't have a couch well now you're getting one and it can be a thousand dollars they deduct and it won't be a new couch it'll be used probably um, we don't like that to happen and we try to provide that furnishing for free yeah. they may just get a mattress or something I, I went to one home and they had two they had a coffee table two chairs and a bed and cost them I think $1,100 out of their placement money for a family of two that's a ton of money. They only left them with seven hundred dollars to put towards their rent. That doesn't last long. That doesn't even pay their rent, to be frank. Okay,
1: so coming as a as a military member, I've what kind of how I got involved with you all as well is I met your COO, uh, Jason, and and because of that, um my passion for helping with when it comes to languages and then in reality what no one left behind is you all are really, really intensive mentors uh, to these SIVs. And for all of our listeners who don't really know, how does kind of the integration process happen? Because you seem to be kind of this, the top mentor here in DC. So you've seen everything from when they come in to all the way to when they hit U.S. citizenship to the ups the and downs that a lot of
2: these SIVs have. So it's a, it's a really important to bear in mind that, you know, one of the qualifications for being an SIV is you have to have had a credible threat in your life. So there's a A lot of these guys have PTSD issues that I'm not equipped to deal with. Um, And they can be pretty horrific, whether it be the kidnapping of a family member or an assassination or just simple death threats. So there's always some mental scarring of some kind, right? And then on top of that, some bigger problems that they have is they don't know how to pay their bills. They don't know what a stamp is. One thing that we like to do when we assign them a mentor is to think two steps ahead so if the SIV is going to buy a car, I need that mentor in order to be thinking about car insurance companies because that probably doesn't exist in Afghanistan. They don't know what's required and they don't know what a good deal is and what's not. So mentors can really play a strong role, especially if they have that Dari or Pashto background because then they're also kind of tuned into the culture and they know how to present things in a manner that's going to be most receptive to the SIV. Um, coming from like a background of Russian language, I speak very directly and very frank. That doesn't work with this population. You have to. You get ambiguous answers with this population, for better or worse. And someone who's in tune to that culture and that language can easily navigate that.
0: And that's something that we talked about actually in our last uh, episode with um, Grace, who's a student who was a student at the Turkish flagship at Indiana University, um, is about how language kind of affects your personality. And so you just mentioned that as a Russian speaker, you're very direct and to the point and no-nonsense, whereas as an Arabic speaker, I kind of flow a little bit, and I am loosey-goosey, and Alex, you might be the same, Garrett, I don't know about you in, well, I don't, you in and, you and English is not really a, a
1: loosey-goosey speaker. I'll take that as a compliment. But it is a compliment, That's a, I mean. But, but yeah, when it comes down to Persian, Garrett, uh, yeah, you have to use, if for any Persian speakers out there, you have to be taught wolf, you have to You have to say, oh, no, no, please, after you, no, 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 let me... Offer you a drink or food three times in a row; those kind of things, where it's a lot different than, say, like your your Russian stance, where it's very to the point and get things down and make it happen, as opposed to the Persian or Afghan Dari, where there's a lot of colloquialisms and uh, and kind of lead up to everything that happens. So, it's, Tarif
2: uh, isn't really present in Russian; like it's just yeah. not there. <laughs> <laughs> so, do, when they're integrating
0: into the into the U.S., do they take classes? Is there some sort of support system like that, or is it Is it just no one left behind mentors that are kind of guiding them through, getting them car insurance, et cetera?
2: Whatever they can really find. And it's typically nothing Mm. like it's pretty much just, I'm not going to say just us. Um, Sometimes some resettlement agencies are able to find them a mentor, but it's not always up to the same standards that we like. And I don't really have a way of measuring that. So take it as it will. But um, yeah, pretty much in most of my situations that I've found, they interact with their case manager, maybe once possibly twice, and that's it. And then they're on their own. Often, I'm other than their original case manager and the people they work with in Afghanistan, me or the other mentor I assigned them are the only Americans they're gonna know. They have a really hard time breaking out of that community and getting in tune because where are they gonna live? They have no income, they have no co so they're all gonna be in the same apartment complexes, which aren't gonna be great to begin with. So they're gonna form their own cliques and their own communities. Um, and so that's a big issue. And we're trying to navigate that and get them included into the community.
3: Okay. When it comes to the case manager
2: stuff that mm-hmm. you were just
3: talking about, why is that? Is that because they're so over, there's so many applications and they're so
2: overworked? Overwhelmed, completely. Um, because they have refugees from all over the planet. They're one person. Their funding is continually cut. Um, they're just, there's just not enough time in the day or the week to see everybody in the load. Right. And um, you can interpret that a variety of different ways, I suppose. But I I really put it down to, like, they want to, but honestly, the time and funding is not there to make that happen.
1: Hmm. Okay, so going off that, um, the need is definitely there for future mentors, uh, especially what comes to my mind is the ability, a lot of the language students we work with, the people you reach out to, some of the people that come to our website, is how they can help. Um, We're we're located here in the DC metro area, Virginia, Maryland. but is no one left behind in other sectors of the country? So say we have somebody up in Boston or San Antonio or San Diego that's maybe in a language program that say, I'd love to you know, do my part and help uh, with something like this.
2: Yeah, we have chapters in about eight different cities now, including Pittsburgh, which is our newest one. Our original one is in Rochester. Of course, there's DC, there's Boston, there's Seattle. There's a few out in California. Um, Omaha, I think, also has a presence. So we're around, we're there and if you ever want to get connected just email me my email address is mike at no one dot org all spelled out
0: so our audience studies critical languages uh, there's a lot of arabic speakers there's a lot of persian speakers there are a lot of other language speakers as well what can they do to help these 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 students these linguists what what are, what can they do are there volunteer opportunities absolutely what 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 are some of those like what what do they entail
2: so I need mentors, people who can hang out with a family once or twice a week for about three or four hours and help them sort their mail. You know, and having a car is going to be pretty important for that. I need female ESL teachers that can go in and teach the wives basic levels of English so they can go to the grocery store independently. Um, on Saturdays, we have in, in the DC area we go around and we pick up furniture to furnish their homes with. And we can always use an extra hand um, to come along and help us load these U-Hauls and get them going. Other things I need help with, um, besides fundraising, mentoring, ESL. Do you do you all work at all with,
3: like the local Muslim communities? I do now. Okay.
2: I have been going around and meeting with the different mosques throughout the week. Um, and how's that, how they, have they been in terms
3: of reaching out to the families that are coming?
2: They do a really good job. I'm actually really impressed with a lot of the mosques here. They are true pillars of the community. Uh, I was just at Dar al-Hijra, and what they do is amazing stuff and stuff I hadn't thought of. Like, they have a a sewing club Hmm. for for wives that come in that are refugees. And I was just with MakeSpace, and they're very inclusive, and it looks like they're doing some awesome stuff as well. I'm going to be trying to go to the other mosque in Maryland and Adams out in Sterling as well. Um, But going back to, like, volunteer stuff, I always need help. If you think you can help and you have a skill set, email me.
0: All right, so we're going to go get another round, but we'll be right back in a GIF, or maybe it's a GIF. Tonight's episode wouldn't have happened without people at Chaos Mountain Brewing Company. We just happened to meet the owner when we were stocking up for tonight's episode,
1: and it's truly one of the best beers we've ever had. We're we're drinking Edge of the Sun Lime Lager tonight, and to tell you, it's pretty damn awesome. You can get it where you get all your other beers, but it has lime, and it's really tasty. And the lady we met was fantastic, and... It's a local brewery, and we're not actually getting paid, we're just saying, let's go beer. Now back to the show. Um,
3: so what have been the most successful stories that you've been seeing in terms of like people who come here and have actually had
2: success finding jobs? What are their skill sets, and what, what have you seen from your experience? Um, so, you know, it's a big challenge for a lot of them. One SIV that came here, he didn't come with us, though. He... I found him through different means. He you know, also had the same challenges at the other space, and he was building airports um, in Afghanistan. He was in charge of making tarmacs and such, and he was working as, I think, a baggage guy at Ronald Reagan Airport, and they found him, and they talked to him, and now he's making close to $100,000 a year, which is probably more than I'm ever going to make in my life. Wow. Um, but that is what I would consider a success. Is he looking for an intern? <laughs> <Not sure. laughs> I can ask him, okay. I can ask him. He doesn't live too far. It's probably going to be um, on page. Just yeah, so you it's know, I'll take but but the thing I like to stress is like the, the skill sets of these guys are vast. So there's combat interpreters who have all sorts of skills and have worked in stressful situations. Obviously, there's other guys that have PhDs in economics. One of our clients, he was in charge of building the Afghan stock exchange. It didn't work out, but that was his that was his thing. That's a pretty big deal. But what a lot of people don't know is that. He was trained to be a medical doctor. He just did this as his fallback career, mm-hmm. in case doctoring didn't work out. And sure enough, this was more lucrative. So the skill sets of these guys is completely as wide in terms of variety as you can imagine, including in the States. It can be doctors, accountants, um, diplomacy, etc. Um, it goes
3: on. But I'm, yeah. I'm imagining that English proficiency is an obstacle. Like, even if they worked with US forces in those, in those countries, maybe they don't have Full English fluency, right? So
2: they have, have pretty good fluency. There's okay. a few. I mean, granted, there's a few that were contractors, that were painters and plumbers. They don't have the same levels as you would like or expect. Um, mm-hmm. But the combat interpreters generally speak English the best with less reservation, and it's because they've had to. Um, and they can pretty pass for they can pretty much pass as a native English speaker in some situations. They get tripped up, of course, over certain things, especially cultural nuances like Seinfeld, or. Um, Credit card stuff and terminology and certain contexts that they wouldn't otherwise have. Right. But for the most part, they're generally pretty well capable, provided that the other person has a little bit of patience.
3: I just picture them watching Seinfeld and being like, "Why is this funny? I don't understand." There, there are sometimes st- when even I ask why. Show has nothing.
2: That's
3: the whole point. <laughs> to be yeah, be most of today's culture I hate with a passion. <laughs> it's probably best that they don't learn. Yeah, so you, so, like, are there any opportunities for them if they wanted to go back to work for the military, for the U.S. military?
1: Um, so the big thing right now, um, when it comes down to the military and contractor side, is that there's a huge need for, in reality, interpreters in Afghanistan and Iraq to go back and support U.S. forces in a more controlled area, being a U.S. citizen, being a part of these uh, personnel, and the contractors are looking for these critical languages, for these Dari, the Pashto, Iraqi Arabic. Really, the whole gamut when it comes down to critical languages is the... You look at Russian, You look at Georgian, you look at all these different areas where in reality, language is a limiting factor for a lot of the, in reality, the US government. There's a lot of opportunities out there across all the major contractors and and agencies that are out there. Um, You look locally too, you look at organizations like the International Center for Language Studies uh, right here in DC. We've worked with them. Uh, creating plans to get um, basically members within my contractor, uh, getting them to learn languages and also keep up to date on their language maintenance. Those kind of things too. They're always looking for language teachers. Uh, these interpreters with these uh, natural language abilities will be a great thing for them too. And and kind of what I see too is that as you talked about it before, Mike, is the ability their abilities that some of them have PhDs in economics, some of them have business degrees. There's a whole wide range and gamut of professional abilities that are out there. And these languages are just a a cherry on top to what they already have. And it's being able to get them, get that foot in the door. Like you said, um, that guy was working as a bagger at Reagan National Airport. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's probably doing six-figure salary at Reagan National Airport as a higher-level manager, and it's really just getting your foot in the door, and I mean, that's that's across the board when it comes down to the contractor realm, which I'm in right now, when it comes down to the military, when it comes down to really any job, it's really just getting your foot in the door, showing what you can do, and putting your best foot forward, and just, there's a lot to be said about that, and uh, what we hope to do at Critical Management Mentor is work with these SIVs and can just kind of connect them with the job uh, and give you, give you some support, because Because, Mike, you're doing so much as it is here. I mean, you drove almost two hours today just to meet with us and do this podcast. And that says a lot about you and about what your organization does because you're helping out so many people and you're only one person. And we hope to, through our connections, whether it be job-wise or just support-wise, even just connections uh, with local businesses, being able to get these guys and gals into jobs to just get their foot in the door and keep moving forward because little by little, uh, that's the biggest thing. I think we had a... Had a uh, reference that you're kind of your job market is like Plinko kind of mm-hmm. the prices right where you're gonna bounce around a lot you might end up in a zero sometimes you might end up in a thousand but overall like you're gonna keep moving forward and you might go side to side a lot but just keeping your foot in the door and, and taking that that uh, that jump and that dive is a big thing and we're hopefully we can help uh, a critical language mentor uh, with our job boards that we're setting up and then also what we're going to do is we're going to have resume templates on our website for anyone to use uh, just simple word docs that you can use and fill out uh, for yourself so if you're an SIV, if you're a student at say University of Maryland University, Colorado, Texas whatever it may be, any one of these universities where you learn a language you can have just a general template of a say a linguist, a language teacher an interpreter or even just someone who's a business major with Arabic knowledge or a business major with Turkish knowledge, just having that ability to say, hey, you need to have these points in your resume. Use this template. It might not be the 100% solution, but it's at least something to get you there, and that's hopefully where we can help out and uh, and help bridge that gap and and give you some support because you're doing a lot, a lot for these uh, interpreters and me being a military uh, person at the moment with a lot of military friends who are veterans in active duty, you guys are doing the right job uh, because these guys have done so much for our forces and have saved their lives many, many times and have put their lives on the line. Not just their own lives, I mean, they put their entire family's lives. Uh, what I've talked about with a lot of my veteran friends, a lot of my active duty friends, their interpreters not only put their lives on the line, they put their entire family's lives on the line too, where they're getting death threats every day. It's one of those things where the US military community, the US veterans, uh, they do a lot for us and they do a lot, they go overseas, they, they, they have the service, but at the same time, even a 15 month deployment at say the longest times of our deployments in Iraq, those guys and gals can come home and their families are home, their families are safe. But you look at the interpreters and every night they have to go back to their families and not know if someone's gonna come knocking on the door with an AK-47 or worse and and try and take out their family. So they live in fear all those times and you guys are doing a lot of good uh, for, for, for all those families. So. We're here to help out, and we hope to keep moving forward with the other programs that we have. So, well,
2: thank you, thank you.
0: So, on that note, what's next for No One Left
2: Behind? Well, what's next is um, since January, we've been experiencing a surge in demand for, for our services. services, and so I am actively building the DC chapter to meet that to build our capacity to meet that demand. Um, I'm having we have a big fundraiser going on right now. Um, And you can read about at nooneleft.org or check out our Facebook page. We also have a fundraiser going on for World Refugee Day on June 20th at the Embassy Suites in Old Town Alexandria. Um, And we'll be there as well, trying to raise funds because the big thing right now is rental assistance has become a huge thing. Um, You've got 80 families asking you for help. I mean, it's nuts. And this is a really expensive area to meet. Their rent's not $500, their rent is $1,800. And quite frankly, having them evicted and being homeless is not acceptable. So that's what we're kind of focusing on right now um, is driving up support. But I also really need volunteers. So if you have a couple hours in the week or four or five, six hours, reach out to me at mike at no one Send me an email and I'll get you connected. Um, we'll do something.
3: Could I just ask about the I mean, I'm sure they they go through a lot of hardship and it's really hard for them, but from the families that you interact with, what are like some of the positives you see and like inspiration you see about their attitudes about being here and what they want to do with the rest of their lives? Some of
2: them say optimistic no matter how difficult it is. And it's it's truly something because the maybe maybe I'm being naive, um the challenges that they face are pretty steep. And if they can stay optimistic and they can keep pounding out application application after application to go get jobs at eight dollars an hour nine dollars an hour and are willing to hustle i mean that's truly something to sit back and witness is to see someone determined to not give up it's not the same i can't say that happens across every family but that's it's truly a remarkable feat to see somebody pull that off in a different country um that's something that i've not had to do and i think that's pretty admirable that they're willing to make these sacrifices and put all this work for their family um, so that's a real positive thing to me. But honestly, like one of the most important things to me is whenever I hear them talk about like, their goals and how they're trying to work towards those goals, no matter what those goals may be, and just talk about how they're going to have a better life at some point and that they're making steps and that they recognize that this is just a bump along the way or a mountain along the way, that they're going to pass. The point is that they don't recognize and think it's fuel. They see a light at the end and they're able to move towards it. That to me is what inspires me. Um, and gets me going and then the second thing I'd like to add on to that whenever they step up and they take role in their community I think that lifts me up more than anything else is to see one of them take charge of the situation in their neighborhood and be like you need help I'm going to connect you to this guy I'll help you get a job here I'll help move this couch in that is more than just thinking of themselves that's passing it along and that's those are going to be the community leaders and those are going to be I mean that's the leadership we need in this country It's just what it is, and those are the people you want as your neighbor.
1: And to to go off that too, one of the reasons, one of the really motivating things that I've seen, I don't know if it was an SIV candidate with one left behind, but I met a guy at Home Depot, Afghan uh, refugee, and he was by far the best employee at Home Depot here locally in the Virginia area. And it was just great to see that where it's one of those things where they're working a an entry-level job, but they're they're putting their best foot forward, and they're just so you could just tell he was so happy to be here, and just so happy to have his family in a safe area. And it was just it was amazing to see that and to see his motivation. And it's motivating for me too, also because I got to use a little bit of try my Dari out sure. on him, and uh, he didn't think a giant six foot four, two hundred and forty pound uh, white guy could be speaking Dari to him that day at Home Depot. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun, and it was it was real motivating for me because. It puts things in perspective where um, these guys and their families, they're going through a lot, they're working the basic level jobs and they're getting their foot in the door and they're doing things the right way and really puts things in perspective about how you see your life and the hardships that you have in comparison to some of these personnel who have done their duty overseas and put their lives on the line and their families lives on the line. So that's kind of the motivation for me why I wanted to get everybody together here and stay in contact with you. and. Uh, help out, no one left behind, and uh, keep them forward.
2: So oh, I appreciate you doing that because I, I mean, I'm thrilled to help get out this message, and I'll take as much help as I can get. So I need it, and they appreciate it, and it's a good thing to do for the community. So there's no downside to this whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and I really, this is my kind of my shout out to the veteran community. Um, I work for an organization called Wish for Our Heroes, where we help uh, active act duty and veterans' families in times of need. And it's not, or it's not just the plug for them, it's more about the plug for them left behind too where I know a lot of veterans that say, hey, I have an interpreter needs help or, or I knew of one, just put an extra hour or two in there and volunteer and help out the personnel that helped you when you were overseas and really just go out there and uh, and pay it forward. That's the biggest thing. No matter what organization you're working for or helping out, pay it forward in your community and uh, and really just be a be a positive factor in your community and, uh, and keep them forward with that and help people out. That's the, the whole kind of uh, platform that we built here at Critical Language Mentor is that we saw the need to kind of help people through this process with the language community as a whole. And as we met these great personnel from Forency, from No One Left Behind, from ICLS to uh, Indiana University in Maryland, University of Maryland, which will have a podcast up here shortly, a lot of great personnel, a lot of great people, and there's a lot of great organizations out there and being able to connect them and give people guidance. uh, That's really kind of what we do we wanna make sure other organizations like us are out there and doing the right thing and we wanna make sure to connect everyone and keep everyone informed about what's truly out there and how to to better yourself and better your community so people aren't making the same mistakes and uh, keep moving forward and progressing, that's the biggest thing, and uh, we're happy to help do it. Glad you all could, uh, could be here for it, too. That about wraps up tonight's
0: Language Happy Hour. Mike, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: You can get involved with No One Left Behind at nooneleft.org. You can also follow on Facebook by searching for No One Left Behind. And again, if you're in the D.C. area and you want to get more involved, volunteering, helping out, you can send Mike an email at... Mike at nooneleft.org. Alex, also I want to thank you for being here. Pleasure. You can find Alex and the rest of the Forency team on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Forency. Also, please, please, please subscribe to the Language Happy Hour on iTunes and leave us a review. It really helps. We're also on Stitcher, Pocket Casts,
1: and on SoundCloud. Let us know how we're doing, uh, believe me. I'm a military officer, I get told I suck all the time, so if something's wrong, let us know. That's fine, give us your input, and you can like us on Facebook by searching Critical Language Mentor, and follow us on Twitter at Language Mentors, and be sure to use the hashtag LanguageHH. And
0: most importantly, please, 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 visit us on the web. We are criticallanguagementor.net. You can find all of our free language resources. We have Arabic, fully up, we have Persian, Fully up, we have Korean almost fully up and Chinese, which is about halfway through. I would
1: say three quarters,
0: but three I'm three quarters not of the way through. Please, we have all of these great free resources on there.
1: Please visit I'm Drew. Have a good night. And this is Garrett. And yeah, again, just to reiterate, really appreciate the time everyone, and uh, thank you all for being here. And thank you all for listening.